This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz, and welcome to episode 56 of A Dungeon Master's Handbook. In this episode, I'm going to take a few minutes and talk about, or at least try to demystify a little bit, about treasure and treasure types in AD&D. So in the Audio Dungeon Discord, there's a uh, fellow podcaster by the name of The Pink Phantom. I'm sorry, I couldn't help that. That's just such a cool name. I had to say it that way. Um, Anyway... He asked a great question about how to figure out what the various treasure types are for the monsters. Because in AD&D, the monster manual, they're not exactly all that consistent with how to identify treasure types. And I answered the question, and I'll answer it here in the Discord, or in the uh, podcast, but it made me realize that overall, AD&D kind of does a iffy job on how to uh, assign treasure, when to use the treasure, uh, when to put out these big hordes versus what you should put into a dungeon. And I thought it would be interesting to go and look and see why that is, and then think about and share with what I do uh, to overcome that. If you go and you look at OD&D, and if you don't have OD&D, that's not a problem. I'll I'll kind of fill in the, the, the gaps. Um, if you look at the second book of OD&D, which is titled Monsters and Treasure, you will find the treasure type tables. So this all started in OD&D. Um, and treasure types are a great way of being able to say, for this kind of monster, here is the treasure that they can have. And the treasure type tables in OD&D are very similar to the ones in AD&D. You know, you've got your number of gold pieces, you've got your number of copper pieces, you've got percentages that identify if you have a magic item or not, uh, if you have gems and jewelry. So very similar, but they only had the letters A through I identified. And in OD&D, there wasn't the concept of monsters walking around with pocket change like you had in AD&D. Also, in OD&D, they gave you the concept of these large treasure types applying only to layers of monsters. And the idea being that these layers are usually full of monsters. You know, if you look at a stat block in the monster manual for AD&D, or if you look at the OD&D monster descriptions, they give you a number appearing, you know, like for um, orcs from 30 to 300. And the guideline was, hey, use these treasure types for when you have a lot of these creatures. But they didn't really give much guidance on what to do when you only had a few monsters. So we moved to OD&D, or AD&D, rather, and you look at the treasure type table in the monster manual, and you'll see there's a lot more. Now we've got the letters A through Z identified, and right in the middle of them are these treasure types, I through M, or N if I remember correctly, and they have like a few pieces of coins per coin type. And uh, I believe it's, now I'm going to flip open the book and look, 
just to make certain if I remember correctly it is the treasure type of you can hear me thumbing through it the treasure type of Q which is individual type for gems so what Gary Gygax and the writers of AD&D wanted to do was say hey you know what there's these monsters walking around they only have a few coins on them here's a way of figuring that out now when they listed the monster types and the treasure types in the monster manual they weren't very clear on when you apply one type for individual and one type for layer they tried to do it using commas and semicolons they weren't very um what's the word um consistent they weren't very consistent in how they showed which is individual versus which is um you know layer based treasure and we'll get to that in a minute the other thing that AD&D did not do a very good job of is saying when you use these treasure types. The monster manual says, oh, these treasure types are good for when you have an average number to a large number of monsters. But the Dungeon Master's Guide says, oh, no, 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 you use these treasure types only when you have the maximum number of monsters. A little inconsistent there. Plus both AD&D and its predecessor OD&D say only use these treasure types for a lair they're not appropriate for the dungeon and that might be news for you because I have a feeling if you're like me most people will look at those treasure types and say well I'm just going to use them whenever I have the monster you know it makes no sense to have smog in a dungeon and I'm not going to use treasure type H. I, I don't know. That, that seems very odd. But that is what the rule book says. Um, so what would you assign to a monster in the dungeon? Well, OD&D and AD&D have these little charts for you know randomly generating a dungeon and its contents. Uh, OD&D, that's in book three, and in AD&D, that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide in Appendix A. And they have a little chart in each of those that says, for this level of the dungeon, assign this many coins. And, and it's a little random table, and you roll against it. And kind of not so helpfully, at least in AD&D, it says, oh, well, if you have monsters guarding the treasure in the dungeon, just roll twice on the table. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to put smog in a dungeon and roll twice on a table where he may only have a few thousand coppers and maybe a couple of gems. No, 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 that's not going to work. We've got treasure type H here that clearly indicates I have a whole slew of things I can have. I'm not quite sure what they were thinking. And really that's the one thing about AD&D that's probably the most or one of the things about AD&D that's the most art form is applying the treasures now Gary and company did try to address that in the Dungeon Master's Guide and, and if you I believe it's page 92 and 93 if you turn to that there's several paragraphs where Gary tells this great story about um you know uh, bandits having or brigands having treasure and then there was you know a, a pair of ex exceedingly large powerful and ferocious ogres and da, da 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 and it gives a great example of kind of laying out a story of treasure but it doesn't really give you much of a procedure 
where, like in other areas, you do have clear-cut procedures on how to determine treasure. And so I have a feeling that a lot of people tend to go back to the treasure types. So what do I do? How do I demystify this for you? Well, I wish I had a clearer example from AD&D, but what I found myself doing is actually reverting to one of the retro clones. And for that, I'm going to talk about Swords and Wizardry White Box. Now, Swords and Wizardry is a retro clone, meaning it's a, it's a uh, attempt at re-expressing one of the older games, but in language that isn't necessarily tied to a license. And one of the things that Matt Finch, who's the author of uh, Swords and Wizardry, was, um, was known for saying is, look, if you're going to assign treasure... You know, if you're going to have a monster and that monster is carrying treasure, make the treasure worth some multiple of what the monster's XP value is. And I like that approach. You know, it's something that makes sense. Look, you know, if I've got 10 orcs running around, then I could and should have anywhere from one to four times the amount of treasure that their XP is worth. So let's say the orcs are worth a thousand XP. Then I should have anywhere from a thousand to four thousand gold pieces worth of treasure with that monster. And that's what I've tended to do. So if I'm populating a dungeon, um, I will take a look at the XP that the monster is worth. I may use the treasure uh, type to help generate the treasure and tweak it to match that amount. Or I may go to the... um, you know, the little charts that are in the random dungeon and uh, generate the treasure that way. I actually tend to use the chart, the, the random tables more for when I'm dealing with unguarded treasure, um, as I find that that, you know, that, that's a nice little amount. There's a chance that there might be a magical item in there. I, by and large, don't pre-stock known treasures. Um, very rarely. I mean, once in a while I have, if, if it's a particular treasure item like a magic sword or something that's related to my campaign. But by and large, I use the dice to tell me what kind of treasure there is and if there's some sort of a magic item there. Um, the treasure types are nice for monsters, and the random treasures are nice for the unguarded treasures. And so really, basically, that's how I do it. But I let the the monsters xp guide me and it's real simple to come up with you know what what uh, uh what multiplier to use you know you could use a d4 you could use a d6 what, whatever it is that you want to allow to guide you in how much treasure you want to assign to and the xp values you know use what feels right um you know, if, if it's a particularly tough monster, you might want to think about comparing it to their hit die. You know, if the, if it's a uh, seven hit die creature, but they, you know, they can have, like have a, a gaze that turns you to stone or something. Well, then you might want to consider evaluating them as an eight hit die creature or a nine hit die creature. What, what feels appropriate? That's at least what I do. So I hope this helped. Um... In terms of being able to tell the difference between the individual and the uh, layer types of treasure in the Monster Manual, uh, the only way I've really found of getting around that is to memorize 
which of those letters means individual and which of those letters mean layer. Fortunately, um, it's pretty consistent. I through N plus Q is an individual type and the rest are layer types. And so you don't need to rely on semicolons and commas to try to tell <laughs> which is which. All right, that's enough about treasure. All right, now we're going to hear from Trevor for a call-in. Hey, Chicago Wiz, this is Trevor. Um, I just finished listening to your episode on Chainmail. Awesome job, man. Um, uh, I'll reiterate what I said before uh, on uh, Bandit Keep, Keep Bandits Keeps podcast. That's a tongue twister. Uh, I'm glad there are more people like you guys out there um, sort of explaining the way Chainmail works and the way that you use Chainmail because it helps people like me who are just now getting into the game really understand how to play it. Um, uh, thanks for sharing some of those resources. Uh, I didn't know about the Grognard one, but I've been using the complete uh, Chainmail one, and uh, it's it's an awesome resource. I've been combing through it at, um, as I've been using it for just sort of my own amusement. Um, uh, I got to check out your episode on uh, Classic Traveler because I picked up a box set of that not too long ago, and I'm really excited to get into that game sometime. Uh, anyway, uh, you just find yourself a new longtime listener. <laughs> Great work, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Hi, Trevor. That's a great uh, message from first time call-in. I really appreciate you listening. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the kind words. Um, I hope you enjoy your travel and your travel. Your travel into traveler and your travel into chain mail. Your journey into chain mail, rather. Um, yeah, the uh, complete chainmail is an awesome resource for someone who actually just wants to learn chainmail for chainmail itself. You know, in reading it, when you read all these different takes on people, it makes the language a lot more clear. And and chainmail is not the first uh, rule book that requires a bit of um, interpretation. If you ever really want to have yourself an English word uh, masochistic uh, kind of experience, go read a rule book called Debellus Antiquitatis, uh, the second version, uh, 2.2. I think you can still find the uh, PDFs online. Um, written by a Englishman by the name of Phil Barker. And there's a reason why the term Barkerese is uh, well known in the wargaming community, because reading these rules requires feats of English interpretation like you would not believe. Um, so anyway, enjoy your games. I hope that you will record or write about your games and your experiences and what you learn because we all learn from each other. Fresh eyes see things in different ways and in ways that help, you know, everyone to be able to interpret what's going on. So I, I hope you'll consider that. Anyway, very cool, Trevor. Thank you very much for calling. And with that, that's the conclusion of this episode. Thank you all for listening and game on.